if anybody in all the world should keep a song in their heart, it ought to be Christians. If you don't keep a song in your heart thinking about God and how awesome He really is, and you're a child of God, then you have a serious problem. And if we are Christians and have lost the song in our heart, we have lost something incalculably precious. And we need to yearn to get it back as soon as we can. We have reason to sing. If you open the Gospel of Luke... You'll notice in the opening chapters that really the two chapters mirror each other in a number of ways. In chapters 1 and 2 of the Gospel of Luke, we read of the birth of John the baptizer and we read of the birth of Jesus. There are parallels, and it's like you're looking at a mirror in some ways. Both of their births were announced by an angel. Neither woman was expecting a child, Elizabeth, because she was too old, and Mary, because she'd never been with a man, Isaiah 7, 14, Matthew 1, 23 through 25. There are many points of parallel. Both of them are named before they are born, always a matter of significance in Scripture. And something about each of their early life is said when they finally come on the earthly scene in Luke chapters 1 and 2. But here's what I want you to see. Luke frames both of these births. Now think about how crucial they are, how awesome they are, how that a new day is dawning because the forerunner, Isaiah 40 verses 3 through 5, Malachi chapter 3, 1 and 2, the forerunner, the one who would prepare the way for the Lord, John, is coming. And then Mary has an angel appear to her, Luke 1, 32 through 35, indicating that she would give birth to the long-awaited Messiah, the promised King, the great Deliverer. These are all important things to see. But Luke frames all of this in the accounts of the birth of John the baptizer and Jesus with praise. This is what we have been waiting for for centuries. A new day has dawned. And in the first two chapters there are four outbursts of praise or singing. And the first one is right here in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 56. It's a song of Mary that we commonly call the Magnificat. And really what the word means, it's a Latin term, and it means magnifies. My soul magnifies the Lord. That's where that term comes from. More about that momentarily. 
But there's a second song to be seen in Luke chapter 1. And it's found in Luke chapter 1 and verse 67. And it goes almost all the way to the end of the chapter, verse 80. It is the song of Zechariah, the father of John the baptizer. Remember now, Zechariah had a hard time believing that he and Elizabeth were going to have a, have a child, have a son, didn't he? Even though he was a priest of God, and even though this was revealed to him when he was performing temple tasks, that he and Elizabeth would have a son, and that this son would be great, and that he would be the one who would prepare the way of the Lord. When he is able to speak again, he opens his mouth in praise. Now look at Luke chapter 2. Just as there are two outbursts of praise hymns, if you will, in chapter 1, there's two in chapter 2. One is in Luke chapter 2 and verse 14. As the angels burst into praise, glory to God in the highest, on earth peace, goodwill to men. And then beginning at Luke chapter 2 and verse 29, there is the song of Simeon. The song of Simeon. Just reading these chapters... There's songs in people's heart because of God and what God does in the lives of sinful men. You can summarize the message of the 39 books of the Old Testament in two words, two expressions. Expression number one, man's failure. The Old Testament is just a story a failure on the part of humanity. Isn't that really true? And the Old Testament deals with the faithfulness of God's promise of a deliverer, of a king, of a prophet greater than all the prophets. Now let's focus with this kind of background on Mary's song, let's meditate on the magnificent for a while with Mary. All right? So look at Luke 1, 46 through 56. And as we proceed in our study, and I really believe that Bible study Sermons should be engaging and draw you in and that they ought to be something that are great because we're talking about a great God and a great message that ought to put a song in our hearts. What I want to do is overview Mary's song of praise. And then I'd like to look at lessons to be learned. All right? An overview of this song of praise and then lessons to be learned. Everybody with me? All right. Overview. To keep this simple, the song itself 
breaks into what we might call four verses. Four verses. The first verse is seen in Luke 4, uh, rather Luke 1, verses 46 and 47. Look at your Bible. Hope you've got your copy there, digital or paper. But in summarizing what these two verses are about, they are about praise and joy. If you mark in your Bibles... Maybe put those off to the side. Mary hears that she is going to become a mother. She's young. She has never been with a man. She is a virgin. But she's not immature. When she hears of this news, and notice the context... Elizabeth is six months along and Mary makes a trip of approximately 80 miles, 80 miles to visit Elizabeth. And when Mary, who has heard the news that she is going to be bearing baby Jesus uh, just recently... She's about a month along herself now. When she enters the home of Elizabeth, baby John the baptizer leaps in his mama's tummy because of who's come in. And Steve, that is so cool that this puts a smile on your face. What's he supposed to do in the first place? Prepare the way for the Lord. And he is jumping in Elizabeth's belly because here comes Mary, the mother of the Savior. The Savior. And then the passage goes on. If you're looking at verses 39... And following that just precede this, 39 through 45, Elizabeth begins to speak in the Spirit. And she speaks of how Mary is blessed because she would be carrying, she would be the mother of my Lord. See that? And she is blessed because she believed in the promises of of God. All of that just kind of sets the stage, the stone, the tone for what follows. But you've got in verses 46 and 47 an emphasis upon praise and joy. See it, Steve? She's not wondering what people are thinking. She's not thinking how she might be ostracized by Jewish society because here she is carrying a child. She's singing, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. What a great God. Magnifies, circle that word. Because I want to ask you a question. Do you really know what it means? Here's the idea. How do you make a great and awesome God big? How do you do that? 
Brother Paffer, what are you going to be able to do to make a great and awesome God any bigger? Think about it, y'all. But the young people, as is often the case, have it right here. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty. The way we magnify God is for God to be great and awesome and loved and respected and obeyed in our own lives. And my spirit rejoices. The idea of magnifies is constant, but the idea of my spirit rejoices refers to maybe a a specific moment. Undoubtedly, it's the moment when the angel came and said that you are going to conceive through the Holy Spirit a child. His name will be Emmanuel, God with us, and he will save his people from their sins. And her spirit rejoiced. This is what we have been waiting for for untold I give you those two words, worship, the idea of praise and joy, because in the context of worship, God should be praised and God should be rejoiced in. Now look at the next few verses. We've looked at 46 and 47, verses, uh, verse number 2. Verse 48 through 50. Verses 48 through 50. We've looked at 46 and 47. Now 48 through 50. Two words. Humility. Blessing. Mary refers to her humble estate. And she's but a servant. And yet, from now on, For those of us who are older and remember, Gomer Pyle, surprise, surprise, behold, now people everywhere are going to talk about how blessed I am because of the role Mary, she would would be able to play in the salvation plan of God. When you and I worship, there must not only be praise and joy, there should also be humility. And there should be an awareness of our blessing, how blessed we are. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is found in Christ. Ephesians 1, 3 How rich we are next. Look at verses 50 through 53 for the third stanza of this four-verse song. 50 through 53. You with me? In this third stanza, the two words I hope that you will remember are the words mercy... You'll see that in verse 50, don't you? His mercy is to all that fear Him. For every generation, this mercy is available. The second word is fear. 
When we talk about worship, we can learn so much from Mary and her song of praise. Worship necessitates praise and joy in the Lord. Worship necessitates this idea of humility and God's blessing. But third, mercy. God has treated us better than we deserve. And when we worship and when we sing, especially, that should be remembered. Fear, awe, reverence, respect. See how that is just dug into this marvelous song of Mary. Now stop and think about this. She's obviously a pretty young lady. And yet her song is not something that's superficial or shallow. Waylon, I love you, but you couldn't sit down and compose something like this. Just, you don't have it in you. We can wait for years. She was inspired at this moment. Now think about that through the Spirit. But, here is a woman who had drunk deeply from the Old Testament. More about that momentarily. But she's helping us understand something about what should be involved in worship today. Now look, if you will, at these verses and how it talks about a reversal of fortunes. There are six statements, and they are ultimately about the proud, people who are proud of their wisdom and proud of their intellect. It's about people who are mighty. Do you see that in verse 52? 51 through 53? Those that are mighty. And it speaks of those who are rich. Jot down across from that maybe Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Don't be proud of your wisdom and intellect. <coughs> Excuse me. Let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he knows me, that I am the Lord God. The Lord God would be in the very presence of the world soon, walking this earth. Look at the last couple of verses, 54 and 55. 56 is kind of a summary statement that indicates that, that Mary spent some time there with Elizabeth. Up until the very time it seems that John was to be born, so it seems approximately three months, and then she went back. But in verses 54 and 55 couple of words to remember. Faithfulness. Why? If you look at verse 54 and 55, he helps. He's extended mercy to his servant Israel. 
And he goes all the way back to Abraham and the fathers and reveals that God has spoken to Abraham and the fathers. And here's the point. It's pretty rich. Promise fulfilled. What God promised to Abraham in Genesis 12 and verse 2, that from your seed all the peoples of the world will be blessed. It's fulfillment time. Fulfillment time. Promise fulfilled. When we worship, we think about the promises of God and we can praise Him in the knowledge that every promise He makes will be fulfilled. I could stop there, but I'm not. It's a pretty neat song, isn't it? But what I want to do now is go from this overview to lessons. And what I want to do now is talk about three areas where lessons can be learned. Lessons concerning Mary. Lessons concerning God. Lessons concerning you. Are you ready? Lessons about Mary. Lesson number one, although Mary was quite young, she thought often and deeply about God. Although she was quite young, she thought often and deeply about God. In the English Standard Version, and this is going to be true of virtually anyone, uh, any version that you're reading, if you're looking in your particular translation, look at every noun or pronoun that refers to God in this particular song. In verses 46 to 56, there are 19 in the English Standard Version. You will find between 15 and 20 in yours. In Luke chapter 2, it is said of Mary that she pondered, she treasured all these things in her heart. Oh, how we need more young people and more parents and more senior saints that do that. Treasure the things of God in her heart. Second lesson from Mary. She knew the Scriptures inside out. She knew the Old Testament Scriptures, her Bible, inside out, although she was quite young and although she undoubtedly didn't have a copy of it in its entirety at her house. Why do you say that, Brother Mike? I'm glad to tell you, because when you analyze her song, you will see that she alludes to nothing less than 12 passages from the Old Testament in this one hymn. And here's what she's done. 
And think about this, Lacey. Here's what she's done. She has heard God's Word and has committed it to her heart and mind for, throughout her young life with a good memory, so much so that she is able to make a quilt, a tapestry. She's able to pillage passages from the Old Testament and put them all together praising God for what He is doing in fulfilling His promises. And talking about the great things that God has done for her. She, lesson number three, represents an ideal servant of God. She would say in John 2, verses 4 and 5, whatever he says to you, do it. And God has said to her, you though a virgin are going to conceive, she served the Lord. Even not understanding how everything would unfold, she trusted in the faithfulness of God. You got that one? Lessons about God. Lesson number one, God is to be magnified. God ought to be big in our worship. The song leader doesn't need to be so big. The preacher doesn't need to be so big. Sometimes we've got big song leaders and big preachers and big prayer leaders. We need to be focused on a big God. We need to rejoice in God our Savior. He is God, our Savior, our Deliverer, our Rescuer. We are in a predicament, a plight from which we cannot get out. And it took God coming down. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Now keep looking. Because when you look at this second and the third verse of the song as I gave that to you earlier. Notice what she says about God. God is mighty. You see it? His mighty hand. God is holy. His holy name. She takes triplets here about God. God is mighty. God is holy. And God is merciful. Great lessons about God. His strength and power, His might. His holiness and His purity. He is as far removed from what is sinful and polluted as you can get. He is merciful. And she says in the song, He has done great things for me. 
And while we're not married, we can say the same thing, can't we? He has done great things for me, for you. God is a help. Look at verse 44 and 45. Go all the way down through this and look at verse 54 and 55. He's a help. He's faithful. He's merciful to Israel. And when we think of the people of God today, we constitute the Israel of God. Galatians 6.16 If you are Christ, then are you Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. Galatians 3.29 Oh, what this passage says about God. A God who speaks and who reveals His will to men who's faithful to keep His word. But catch this. Lessons for us. Let me ask you some questions, okay? Let me ask myself questions as I think, as I meditate on the magnificent with Mary and with you this morning. First question. Is magnifying God what I am all about? Is magnifying God what I am all about? His bigness, His greatness, His awesomeness. In one sense, God cannot be made any bigger than He is, but I'll guarantee you this, God can and likely should be made bigger in every one of our lives. Amen? Number two. Do I rejoice in God my Savior? Do I rejoice in God my Savior? The other day I went out to the hunt, hunt for a good buck. Man, I saw one right after another come to a feeder. Probably at least a dozen eight-pointers, and I didn't even pull my trigger, Terry. All of them looked pretty good. I was waiting on their daddy. But you know, when I started seeing them, hunters know this, and if you're a fisherman, you understand this. The heart starts to get a little faster, especially when it's a good one. And there's a sense of joy. You're elated to see this good one. Do I delight far more and rejoice in my God than I do a buck? It's amazing how excited we get about the very things God created. And we ought to be excited about those things, but they should pale in comparison to the excitement and joy we derive in thinking about Him and that He loves us like He does and blesses us as He does.
and does great things for us like he does. You see, Waylon, you're not the only shallow howl here. I'm shallow too. Because I often think about that and forget or lose sight of the joy. Am I a humble servant? Lesson number three. Why did God pick Mary? She obviously wasn't very well to do. Young lady, she wasn't one of the more popular girls probably. She didn't have the best of clothing and background perhaps in some ways, but oh, the background she really did have. She had the background of a humble servant of the Lord who was willing to trust Him even when she did not understand how everything would come about. Do you? Do you, Harky? It's a hard one sometimes, isn't it, brother? Do you, Steve? It's hard sometimes, isn't it, brother? But the lesson we learn from this young lady is to be a humble servant of the Lord and to trust that He will take care of us. He can be trusted. He is worthy of our praise. And it is here I will conclude. I hope that you'll keep a song in your heart about the greatness and awesome nature of the God that we love, that He created us, sustains us, and saves us. He will keep His word. Tonight I want to talk from Psalm 142. The holiday season is a time when many people are lonely. I want to talk about loneliness and when you feel like your life is caving in from Psalm 142. Maybe that doesn't sound like you or something that you've gone through recently, but I'll guarantee you this, you know somebody that is lonely and feels like their life is caving in right now. Aren't you glad that we have a great God to turn to and a marvelous message to see us through the gospel? We're about to stand and sing our song of exhortation at this time and perhaps there's someone here that needs to put Jesus on in faith, repentance, and baptism. If you haven't, there's no better time than now. For those of us who are Christians... Let's make sure that when we wake up in the morning, there's a song in our heart. And that throughout the day when we're tempted to sing the blues or to, or to whine or complain, let's praise and have joy in our heart in the Lord. And when we go to bed each night, may God help us to remember to meditate on His magnificence, I suspect we would sleep a whole lot better. Let us stand and sing.